Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. Remember, concerned it wouldn't get done before the season? Um, you know, I wasn't really sure. I kind of was out of the loop, to be honest, throughout the whole process. I was just kind of worried about playing good football um but you know i just knew i wanted to be here for a long time um i think they knew that we knew that so not really um i just i'm just excited to keep it rolling and welcome into mackie and judd a fill off for the scoop segment today but you know who's never off from the scoop segment our guy darren doogie wolfson from channel 5 eyewitness news and of course uh, the scoop podcast which you can hear on all the various score north platforms as well as bonus scoops on tuesday and then the ordinary scoops that we like to do with Doogie on Mackie and Judd on Thursday, executive producer Declan Goff. And uh, you just saw a highlight of the press conference uh, Brian O'Neill did yesterday after signing a five-year extension, $92.5 million. The most important uh, number in that $49 million of that is guaranteed. And Doogie, we talked about this probably getting done on Tuesday, and your spidey senses were very much up then. So I take it that this was zero surprise that before opening day now, Brian O'Neill is locked up to a long-term extension. Good morning, Judd. Absolutely. Happy Reckless Speculation Thursday. It was not Reckless Speculation when you and I went back and forth on Tuesday. We both had a sense, not just me, we both had a sense via some text messages that this thing was moving along. Now, I didn't necessarily think we would have news on Wednesday late morning, early afternoon. So maybe the timing surprised me ever so slightly, but we did on Tuesday talk about how this particular week, entering week one across the league, you oftentimes see a lot of extensions get done. I will say, really nice job by his representation. He got taken care of. Now the Vikings can frame it any way they want. I'm sure the Vikings can point to different aspects of the deal where they say, okay, we won that, we won that. Like, just looking at it, from what I can gather, Judd, this is a really solid win for Brian O'Neill and his agents. And as far as, to that point, Duke's average annual value, this now puts him among right tackles, second in the National Football League for right now. That will obviously change uh, at some point here. Ryan Ramchick, who's an outstanding right tackle and former Badger, correct? Um, for the Saints, he is the a top guy when, when it comes to average annual value. And now Brian O'Neill is going to be second. So let me ask you about that, Dukes, because I did see some uh, debate on Twitter about, you know, does he deserve this? Is he that good? And and my response on this one is, yes, he does. Uh, he has proven to be the most, I think, the best player on an offensive line that's had, obviously, a ton of questions. Uh, he stepped in as a rookie, started 11 games, then 15, then 16. Hasn't missed games because of injury has been very solid. He might not be unbelievable in pass protection, but he's still improving. And something else I don't think we're talking about, Dukes, you know, he has spent a lot of time playing beside suspect right guards. Um, and the offensive line operates as a unit. It's not standalone. I understand that the tackles are more on islands, but they also need some help here. And when you're asked to play, for instance, I think it was four games last year by Drew Samia who was waived in an injury settlement yesterday, but was a colossal disaster. I think that's a big ask and probably makes Brian O'Neill's job that much tougher. So I'm curious what you think, because I actually think, although his reps did a great job in this contract negotiation, 
I also think that this is probably incredibly fair and a good extension to give at the price it is. Yes. I mean, Judd, this is the going rate for really good right tackles. We can debate how good Brian O'Neill is, but there is no debate about whether he's good or not. He is good. Is he very good? Is he a superstar? We can have those debates, but we know he is a solid right tackle. The cap is going up. If you look at the franchise tag number for right tackles, if it had gotten to that point, if he had played out this fourth year of his contract, if he had hit free agency next March, the franchise number is north of, you might be able to correct me if I'm wrong on this, but last time I saw, it's like north of $20 million. It's right in that ballpark. It is a significant number. So if you think about you know, the Vikings being able to avoid having to use the franchise tag on O'Neal, He's an incredible athlete. Like, I didn't realize how good of a basketball player he was in high school in the state of Delaware. And I get it, it's Delaware, but I saw the note. He was the the player of the year, his senior year Converted in the tight state end, of maybe. Delaware. So just an incredible athlete. He was a second-round pick out of Pittsburgh for a reason. He turns 26 next week, so you think about having him for his ages 26, 27, 28, 29, maybe beyond years, those seasons. Like, everything about him, his build, his athleticism, you feel pretty good paying a guy like that in terms of just him in the building, him being a teammate. I've always heard A-plus stuff. Like, this is a guy that it wasn't real hard for Rob Brzezinski and Rick Spielman to say, okay, that's a guy we're going to take care of. And I think the thing, too, is there, there's a lot of uh, debates and and things that we can bring up that the Vikings probably don't do perfectly. But I think there's no debate that one thing under the Wilfs that this team has consistently done and done a great job of is if they have homegrown talent, they reward it, take care of it, and keep it. And And that is a consistency that's been really, I think, pretty much off the charts in a good way. That's something that... and. That goes to Spielman and Brzezinski as well. But it really started with the Wilfs in in they clearly long ago said, if we have players, we're keeping them. And the Vikings, through, through the years, I go back to Dalvin Cook last year. They have, right or wrong, they have done a fantastic job of saying, if we develop you and you become the player that we expected, you're going to get paid and you're going to get paid by us. Yes, and they've also established an environment where guys – wanted to come back, you know, whether that's Sheldon Richardson, Stephen Weatherly, who we can get to the pay cut, he just accepted today, or maybe it was yesterday, but the news came out this morning. Mackenzie Alexander, like, guys, there's a genuineness, you know, and it's Royce's favorite buzzword in sports, right, culture. And I don't even know how to quantify culture, and we can have fun with that word, but whatever the secret sauce they have over there at TCO Performance Center, heck, maybe it's just the Performance Center. How nice it is. The Taj Mahal of NFL practice facilities, them in Dallas and Miami and Seattle. But it's a really nice, you know, practice facility. Maybe that has a lot to do with it. But whatever the secret sauce is, guys really, really like being a member of the Vikings. So, Dukes, um, we start, obviously, the season on Sunday, Vikings and Bengals. What is your expectation now? Because training camp didn't go great. Like, there were there were blips there. The exhibition games, the depth looked terrible. Um, besides that, the starters, I, I don't think, played enough to make assessments on them. But as we start the season now in what is obviously a huge year for Zimmer and probably a very important year for Spielman as well, what's your expectation for this team? My expectation is relatively high. Judd, I'm not quite sure it's as high as it is internally. Now, I'm not sure anyone, Zim, Rick, others, will go on the record with their level of optimism. Now, Zim has suggested, I think we have a pretty good team. Now it's on us to go out and prove it. But the expectations internally are incredibly high. For me, I think they can get to double-digit victories. Now, the schedule, you look at the schedule and you're like, are you kidding me? You have to play the AFC North. You have to play the NFC West. Like, could it get any harder than that? You know, they have the extra road game against what appears to be an up-and-coming Chargers team. So it's a really challenging schedule. 
So if they end up eight and nine or nine and eight below double digit victories, I would not be overly surprised. Lack of depth is a thing. Mike Zimmer sat down with Joe Schmidt late last week for a TV piece that aired on Channel 5 on, on Sunday night. I'll play that entire interview. It was about a 10, 11-minute interview. I'll play it in its entirety on the next Scoop podcast. But Zim said, hey, I feel really good about my first 22 to 24 players. After that, and I'm paraphrasing slightly, but after that, we don't have much depth in, in a bunch of spots. So like durability, maybe more so with, with this team, than others. I mean, you think about all the guys that are making eight figures. I mean, they take care of their really good players. They pay those guys, but because of that, uh, you know, maybe, you know, the backup safety and the backup linebacker and so on, you know, you got to have minimum type guys or, you know, really young guys that need to to show right away, like the third round pick from North Carolina. He looks like he's really far away, but he's a good athlete. Maybe he can help on special teams, but like if he has to play base defense downs, the Vikings will be screwed, right? So, like, there is a there is a lack of of depth. But if they can maintain durability, if you can tell me Dalvin Cook is going to play 15 or 16 games, hopefully 17, but if you can tell me 15 or 16, he played, what, 14 last year, probably could have played week 17, that meaningless game in Detroit, but his father passed away. But he was relatively durable last year. If Dalvin Cook can do that again, if Daniil Hunter can play 16, 17 games, I think 10 and 7 is is incredibly realistic. And if you get to 10, Judd, I think you're one of the seven playoff teams. Dudes, when when you look at you know the players on the hot or coaches on the hot seat, Mike Zimmer potentially being obviously on the hot seat if things don't go up to expectations this year. But when Zimmer's talking about the lack of depth, I mean, isn't Rick Spielman also looped into that considering what? 15, uh, how many draft picks last year? Just some of the most in the NFL. They've had so many draft picks. Over 25 players drafted basically with the last two drafts. How how can you really have depth issues? Or I can understand why you do, but if, if Zimmer is on the hot seat, is what I'm trying to say, shouldn't Rick Spielman be equally there considering the lack of depth or lack of players that have turned into quality starters or backups for the, for the Vikings going forward? For sure, Declan. And that's why I think those two are, are tied at the at the hip. Now it's a chicken and egg thing, right? I mean, yeah. Rick could say, hey, I gave you the talent. Zim, it's on you and your staff to develop that talent. But it goes back to what Judd and I talked about on Tuesday. When you look at this rookie class, so this 10 or 11 draft pick rookie class, like who is going to make an impact this year? Now, Smith-Marset, the one-time gopher commit for about 12 hours before he flipped <laughs> to Iowa, he's going to be a kick returner. Maybe he does some things if there are some opportunities to return kicks, which are few and far between now in the NFL game. But if he shows some flashes in that regard, you know, maybe they find some creative ways to mix him in certain packages, jet sweeps, and what have you. So maybe the answer is Amir Smith-Marset. Maybe Wyatt Davis eventually becomes the starter next to Brian O'Neill at right guard. I do think eventually Christian Derrissaw moves into that left tackle spot, but when, like, I don't think you're going to do it all of a sudden heading into week three against Seattle or week four against Miles Garrett and Cleveland, unless Rashad Hill gets hurt or he's completely miserable. And if he's completely miserable, there's probably a decent chance they're 0-2 or 0-3 at that point. After the bye, you start with Dallas, Demarcus Lawrence and the Cowboys. Like, are you really going to have Christian Derrissaw make his first start on Sunday night football against Demarcus Lawrence and the Cowboys. So like I'm struggling to find where you make that, you know, so-called seamless transition to Derrissaw. So like Declan, look at the rookie class. Like Judd, what rookie is going to make an impact this year? It's 11, right? 11 draft picks. It's double digit. 11 draft picks. What draft pick is making an impact this year? And and yeah, it was what I was about to ask you and both you guys. I mean, in terms of making an immediate impact from this draft class, it, it might be Amir Smith-Marset. It might be in terms of like week one, just because he's also a wide receiver. And look, it's it's hard to have like a, a sexy performance being an offensive lineman. It really is unless you're just nuts and bolts and all into football. But what play, what rookie can step in and make the closest impact in week one or even this season for the Vikings? It, it seems like it's completely up in the air. I think Darisaw probably plays to get back to do, to Doogie's point or question. I think Darisaw, and we talked about this Tuesday, plays coming out, out out of the bye. I don't think Rashad Hill's a viable starter 
So I don't think it's going to be like, you can't take Rashad Hill out. He's played so well. I mean, he's go. he, in my opinion, is going to be treading water probably at that position. And, and that would be good. So I think that Derisaw would play Dex coming out of the bye. And I think he was, I think he's still the odds on favorite to have an, an impact. And I will say this, uh, interior draft pick linemen are hard to sort of decipher their progress because that interior line is a little bit more difficult, I think, to go X's and O's on and break down. Tackles really aren't. So like a left tackle, if a left tackle is good, you're like, hey, that guy's good. And if a left tackle's bad, you're like, oh my God, what's happening? So I think the question of what rookie is going to make an impact comes probably back to Derisaw. <laughs> and and then Smith Marset does have speed. I like him. Uh, the one guy from the 2020 class that I could see emerging now is KJ Osborne. He put a, he was really good in training camp. You guys, I don't think he is a very good returner because I don't think he's got a returner's burst. But I will say, in watching him in practice almost every day, that guy's footwork has improved so much. Like he's he's doing the toe tap now. He's looking really good. So that could be a guy to, to keep an eye on as far as a 2020 pick who really we didn't think that much of who could really progress in his second year. So that's just a thought. Yeah, I'm with you on on Osborne. Now, I like D.D. Westbrook. You know, he told me a couple weeks ago, you know, and he was a full participant Wednesday in practice. He's good to go on Sunday. So I'll be curious to see how, how Clint Kubiak ends up using D.D. But, yeah, I think K.J. Osborne is going to take a pretty sizable leap forward here in year two. But then you think about some of the other guys from last year, you know, Cam Dantzler now relegated to third team, you know, Jeff Gladney. Oh yeah. Not here. Yeah. You know, so there are still some, some swings and misses it appears, but yeah, I think as a later round draft guy, Judd, yeah, I think they hit on KJ Osborne. Do we think that Anthony Barr plays on Sunday and the first um, injury report of the season came out Wednesday and it's now being listed as a knee. What I heard is, is he actually tweaked a hamstring in training camp and that that led to knee problems because he tried to push through it. But it's a knee. My my sense is that they're going to be cautious. And if he comes back today and feels good, that's probably a good sign he plays on Sunday, Dukes. But I think if he comes back today, Sore, I'm not going to be surprised if he doesn't play until week two. I would agree on that. So, yeah, I mean, I'd love to tell you, I know definitively 100%, yeah, bar in or out. I don't think they Sunday, do. But I think as we sit here at 1020 a.m., on Thursday morning, they don't hit the practice field for another three hours or so. So yeah, we'll have, we'll have much more information later this afternoon. I think it's exactly what you said, because I had heard initially it was the hammy, you know, but then we had heard knee it's listed as, as a knee. So the way you laid it out is my sense on, on how everything transpired. But yeah, I don't know, you know, if he's not out there, we know Nick Vigil will be, you know, base defense guy. Uh, but I don't know if he'll play on, on Sunday. We'll know a lot more later today. Oh, and last thing, pay cut. You said that that a player took a pay cut. Tell us more about that with Stephen Weatherly. Yeah, so Stephen Weatherly taking a $500,000 pay cut. It was either, hey, Stephen, you take the pay cut, or we are releasing you. And so he is taking the pay cut. Kudos to Chris Thomason of the Pioneer Press with the initial steam. Where I can advance the news is, he does have a chance to earn back up to $1 million. It is $250,000 for every two sacks. Now, Stephen Weatherly did not have one sack last year for Carolina. So if he gets to two sacks, he at least makes back half of the pay cut. Him getting to eight sacks probably is pretty unrealistic, <laughs> especially after they brought in Everson Griffin, who's going yes. to be in, in, in passing situations, DJ Wanham will be in there oftentimes first and second down. So I'm not even quite sure Weatherly is going to earn a bunch of snaps if, if guys maintain their health. But, yeah, Stephen Weatherly was given an ultimatum. Take this offer or we are releasing you. I'll give you one other note, a name to keep an eye on, a guy that the Vikings have had interest in going back a couple of years, safety Will Parks. Oh, yeah. He is sitting out there right now. Let's not forget the week one rule. If you're on the roster, the guaranteed money and all that, so don't be surprised if, if the Vikings at least – well, they've already made an inquiry, but I guess put it this way. Keep an eye on that name as as we head into next week. Interesting. Wolves team, what's up with the Wolves who you told us on Tuesday, a lot of them have gathered in Miami for a retreat and to bond and, and 
practice together, I would guess. What's up with the Wolves? Yeah, and Jared Vanderbilt is there, restricted free agent. Jared Vanderbilt. Technically, now he has a qualifying offer he can sign, but technically he is a free agent. He is not a member of the Minnesota Timberwolves, yet he's in Miami. So that just tells you, Judd, Jared Vanderbilt, one way or another, is going to be back. Now, I checked last night. I was told a deal is still not close. Now, that can change with one new offer, one new phone call. But as of last night, a deal was not close. I still think it ends up being a multi-year deal that he doesn't sign the qualifying offer. But one way or another, Jared Vanderbilt is going to be back. I told you on Tuesday, Jordan McLaughlin would not be there. Same boat. He is a free agent. Yes, restricted free agent with a qualifying offer, but he is a free agent. Jordan McLaughlin is not a member of the Timberwolves. So in his mind and his representation's mind, like there wasn't a reason for him to be in Miami. He's not a member of the team. Anthony Edwards is not in Miami. Maybe I'm burying the lead on this mini story. I am told, though, nothing to worry about. He's taking care of some personal stuff. Uh, not the business of, of anybody that, that, you know, in my position, fans, everything's fine. He is going to join the Wolves for workouts next week. It won't be in Miami. It'll be back here. But Anthony Edwards will be back working out in the gym next week. He's doing okay coming off the ankle injury in Vegas when he was playing for the USA Select team. You know, talking to Chris Finch and even some others, because I get it, Chris could have been incredibly biased. You know, but Chris was in the gym when Edwards hurt his ankle. But talking to some other people, like, I think he would have made Team USA. He would have had a chance to go to Tokyo. doesn't mean he would have earned minutes for Greg Popovich, but he was about the best player in those early sessions before he got hurt Hmm. for that USA Select team. But bottom line, he'll be okay. When training camp begins here in about three weeks-ish weeks, he'll be fine. The preseason opener is a month away, a little less than a month away, October 4th. He should be fine. So nothing to worry about. But right now, Anthony Edwards is not in Miami. Alex Rodriguez hosted the contingent at his house uh, the other night. Mark Laurie is down there. So Chris Finch is down there. Gerson Rosas is down there. A couple other members of the front office. Some assistant coaches are down there. Some trainers. So, you know, it's a collection of with players, too. And uh, the two-way guys, Nathan Wright, McKinley Wright, both those guys are down there. So, you know, it's a contingent of, I don't know, 40, 50 people. But, yeah, A-Rod, I think he's got the space at his house to to hold 40 or 50 people. How about a scoop session from A-Rod's place? If Jared Vanderbilt can go, Dukes, why can't you, me, and Judd go? We're not on the Timberwolves yet, right? We can we can go. You know what? You bring the cigars, Declan. Okay. I'll line it up. Deal. All right? Deal. they uh, got to be the best cigars on the planet. I'll see what I can do. Hopefully A-Rod is, uh, is up for it as well. Uh, Dukes, you mentioned preseason starts October 4th. Regular season, the NBA, What I, I believe October 19th is the official tip-off there. What's a better chance? Ben Simmons remains on the 76ers when the regular season opens, or Ben Simmons is on the Minnesota Timberwolves when the regular season opens on October 19th? What so it's only those you? two choices? Those, those are your only two those choices. Two, those are my only two? Okay. Mm-hmm. I will say of those two, he's a member of the Sixers. I mean, the Wolves still badly want him. Nothing has changed mm-hmm. on that front. I said it in in June that the Wolves, quote, want Simmons badly. That is the same now two and a half months later. Nothing has changed in that regard. The Wolves badly, how about badly, badly (laughs) want Ben Simmons. But it's still a hard trade to concoct. There's still a lot of moving parts there. Now, elite people still think a, a trade is coming. I'll be curious to hear. Ryan Windhorst thoughts. I'm catching up with Windy nice. tomorrow, so I'll see if if he can offer. Oh, he's got uh, thoughts. He's got, yeah, maybe some stuff that that I haven't heard. Yeah, uh, you know, and he's close, really, really close with Ben Simmons's agent, Rich Paul, and, and Windy's got sources. He knows Daryl Morey well. He knows Elton Brand well. He knows everybody involved in this in this situation. So I'll, I'll be I'll be interested in, in picking his brain. But like league people still think there's no way it's too toxic that Ben can't start the season in Philly, that that market would eat him alive, that there's still a lot of, what's the best way to put it? He's pissed off at what Doc Rivers said after the playoff loss to to Atlanta, where he was asked, you know, can Ben be, I don't know if it was lead guard or 
an alpha or a main player on a championship team? And Doc didn't say yes. I mean, I, I forget exactly what Doc said. It Remains was, to be determined, I yeah, think it was. Uh, something like that, to be determined, whatever it was. But yeah. he didn't say yes. So going back to that Doc Rivers answer, that still pisses off Ben and his camp. So there's just there's a lot of animosity there. So I still subscribe to the idea that it's when, not if. A trade is is coming. I saw the latest betting odds. Now, you know, there's a million different off-site right. uh, betting websites offshore with different odds. But I saw one in particular on Wednesday suggesting that the Wolves were the second betting favorite. I believe Portland was the betting favorite on on that particular betting website. I mean, everybody knows, you know, I mean, if they listen to us, if, if they listen to others, I mean, everybody knows the Wolves want them, you know, so you should put the Wolves relatively high up. But, you know, until I hear that the, that the Sixers are interested in some of the Wolves' parts or that they can indeed find a third team, I still wonder about Oklahoma City, San Antonio, some teams with cap space, if you can find a way to involve, you know, somebody in, in that regard, if Oklahoma City wants to still accumulate a bunch of draft picks. But like, are they giving up Shea Gilgis Alexander? You know, and he goes to Philly. I I don't see I don't see that scenario coming to fruition. So that's where it's hard. It's really hard to to concoct you know legit three team trade scenarios. But the Wolves are going to continue to try. Like Daryl Morey knows where where his former colleague Gerson Rosas stands. I can promise you that. So two things stand out from reports, and I think Wendy had one of them, if not both, this week. But there's two things that I've seen in the past five days that are really intriguing about this. One is Ben Simmons contract calls for a very good portion of his 2021, 22 salary to be paid by like opening night, which means, and and I don't think NBA players get paid until the season starts. So that basically means that that, that money is his, it can't be taken. So the Sixers don't have the, the ultimate hammer of saying, well, if you're not here, you're going to lose a lot of your salary for the coming season. So that's point Ben Simmons. The other thing I saw that was really interesting, and this was windy, I think, for sure, and to what you're saying, Doogie, I'm sure it came through his agent, but the Simmons camp has made it clear to the Sixers that it's not the Simmons camp's job to rehabilitate his value. I think they're mad about what you said, which is when push comes to shove after the playoffs and Doc was asked, he's like, I don't know if this guy can play or not. And and so the Simmons camp is saying, we don't want you holding us hostage and telling us you got to come back and play and get your value back up. It's your fault. It's down. Now that might be folly, but it's a very, uh, the, the animosity between these two sides is so high that um, I don't think Ben Simmons has Jimmy Butler capabilities of going into pl- uh, practice and blowing the team up. But I do think that, that as mad as he can be, he's probably there, but both of those things, just lead me to believe that if you're the Sixers, you need to get something done here. And like trying to trying to hold Simmons hostage into the season, usually that type of thing backfires. It doesn't help teams. I'm with you now. When you typically give up the best player in a transaction, it's hard to say you won the trade. But you know, there are differing opinions on on how good, how valuable Ben Simmons is I just know this much Daryl Morey needs to stop asking for the moon like maybe that Drew Holiday trade of a year ago was was an outlier you know all those assets New Orleans got like you're not getting the Drew Holiday package for Ben Simmons so you need to temper your your expectations and that's why I wonder like you know I, I hear there's not a whole lot of Philly interest in Malik Beasley but I wonder if if in the end like, can you find a way with Jada McDaniels with a future first or multiple future first, but not more than two? And maybe there would be some lottery protection on one of them, you know, but just to make some money work, like would Philly say, you know what, Malik, that's pretty good value. Like Doug McDermott has that contract and you'd rather have Malik Beasley than Doug McDermott. That Malik, he can do some things offensively. Yeah, we'll need to help him on the defensive end, but there's something there, you know, so I can't help but wonder if, if eventually Maury says, and you know what, let's ship him out to the West. We don't want to deal with him in the Eastern conference. We're not trading him to Toronto or Boston or Cleveland. Like I know Bickerstaff and the Cavs have some interest, but like does Philly say, yeah, we don't want to keep him in the East. 
let's move them west. You know, and right now it sounds like Sacramento and Golden State are just not that interested. But I also wonder if that changes. You know, Portland, you know, I still wonder if C.J. McCollum for for Ben Simmons, if, if gosh, that just makes a whole lot of sense if maybe that's the trade. Mm-hmm. that does eventually happen. But I also do think, you know what, can you make a, a trade work where, yeah, Beasley's not the feature piece, and you would have to move Jaden McDaniels, which I think would upset a lot of Wolves fans. And I, I get it. I think he's yes. got a really, really bright future. Declan would be upset. Yeah. But if you have a chance to, to acquire a, a multi-time all-star, a multi-time first-team all-defensive player with four years left on his contract, he was the number one overall pick for a reason, I think you roll those dice. you know, And that's where the Wolves are, are thinking that, hey, like if we have a chance, why wouldn't we want to acquire the former number one overall pick who's done enough? Yeah, he was pitiful against Atlanta in the playoffs, but there's enough of a track record. Let's not fixate on that one particular playoff series. Let's look at the full body of work. And that's where, where the Wolves are thinking. You know, there's also, you know, some internal pressure. There always is. But, you know, with, with Mark and, and A-Rod coming in, you know, if, if you're Gerson, if you're others in the front office, you got to be thinking, could be a little bit of a slippery slope. Like, we can't just keep being the 12th or 13th best team in the Western Conference at some point here. We need to make a leap, maybe even a sizable leap, and Ben Simmons more immediately would help that cause compared to Jaden McDaniels and you know future first-round picks. I have joined Declan Goff, Dukes, on the Joe Ryan bandwagon, and it's moving quickly. <laughs> um, that was, now, now, Cleveland's bad. I get that, okay? Cleveland offensively at the plate is bad. So I'm not trying to say that uh, that – he beat the um, greatest offensive juggernaut. But I will say this. His two starts have been damn impressive. And this is the most hope I've had for a young Twins pitcher probably since Barrios and maybe before, just as far as first glance. Could change. Don't know. Uh, but, th- but this has been impressive. And last night in Cleveland was impressive. And the other thing is, this kid, I love him. He's articulate. Yeah. He's mature beyond his years. Uh, there's nothing about this that seemingly phases him. I mean, this is the mental makeup, and this is going to be a, a a hot take, and it might be too hot. This is the mental makeup of an ace. Like the mental makeup, how he talks, how he goes about talking about what he's doing, how he's not flustered by it. He clearly is trying to say, this is still tough, but he's thinking to himself, I'm damn good. I love that. Well, and a lot of major leaguers who first get up struggle with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the aura, it's the body language. It's, it's the confidence that, that is on full display. The fastball has really good life and it's got some deception. You still wonder about the off speed stuff, but yeah, there's a lot to like, you know, like I reached out to Nick Anderson, Minnesota native, who's, who's a pitcher for the Rays. And when the trade happened, you know, in, in late July, I said, hey, you know, congratulations. You'll love Nelly down there. But do you know either of these guys, Ryan or Strotman? Nick said, yeah, I don't know much about Strotman, but I can tell you, I know Ryan. I like him. You'll love the fastball. And so, you know, I'm going to trust Nick's expertise on that. You know, talking to Rick Knapp, the, the Durham Bulls AAA pitching coach right after the trade. I mean, you know, he was getting emotional talking about Joe. Like you could tell just <laughs> via the computer screen, via Zoom chat that, that there was a bond there, nap with Joe Ryan, you know, and then just going over to Tokyo, you know, maybe just, you know, coming off the high of, of the way he pitched in Tokyo, maybe that's feeding into right now. Now you're right. I mean, that Cubs lineup last week is about a triple A lineup. That Indians lineup last night, you know, you got Ramirez, you got Rosario, but they're not a whole lot there. So it's been two very favorable matchups, but it's not like he needs to apologize for that. So yeah. You know, like that's one of those trades where you look at the Rays, the clear-cut number one team in the American League. Nelson Cruz has been great, had two home runs a couple nights ago, had a key RBI in last night's game, although Boston ended up scoring a couple runs very late to win, but he had a go-ahead RBI late. Nelson Cruz has been pretty much everything that Tampa could have hoped for. And Tampa, it's like the one organization that they have an abundance of pitchers. They have so many guys. But they were okay. Like, they feel like Nelly Cruz can help them win the American League, you know, ultimately win a World Series. So I think Tampa would do that trade again, even Mm -hmm. seeing what Joe Ryan did in Tokyo, seeing these first two starts from Joe Ryan 
in the big leagues. I'm, I'm nearly positive Tampa would still make the trade. But mm-hmm. if you're the Twins, like what a win. For a guy that was going to leave or would have had the option to sign elsewhere this winter, you can always bring him back if you want to. Nelly did enjoy his time here. Like, why wouldn't you have traded him? And that's why, like, why didn't you trade Michael Pineda? They could have gotten something for Pineda. Simmons, no. But, like, I would have traded any pending free agent. But in the case of Cruz, definitely a win for the for the Twins front office. Dukes, too, I think what I like a lot about him, too, is, as Judd was saying, his demeanor. And he was on with uh, Bally's right after the game yesterday with, with uh, Dick Bramer and Roy Smalley. And he talked about how he was – he was upset that he was still in the minor leagues. He was pissed off that he was that he was still in the minors. And I know he went to the Olympics, so maybe that delayed a little bit of things. But he's been taking that aggression out in his first two starts, and that's where he's he's been showing off. And I just think a player like that is so needed on this organization. And you know, Josh Donaldson's brash. Josh Donaldson's very very confident, and maybe sometimes too brash. But I think this organization has just had such a tendency of work hard and wait for your opportunity. And, and this goes beyond just the players in the team, but the front office, the broadcasting crew, everything involved. I think what Joe Ryan brings to the table is exactly what this ball club needs, which is a little bit of swagger and a little bit more confidence uh, to kind of raise the expectations for a fan base that is starving for this Twins team to be relevant again. Swagger. Good word, Declan. That's it. Right? Like how many guys, when you think of that word, swagger, how many guys on the on the current Twins roster have swagger? It's few and far between, but Joe Ryan has swagger. And you think about next year's opening day rotation, maybe we can put Bailey Oberin in pencil. At this point, we can probably put Joe Ryan in, in pencil. I don't know who else fills out the rotation. I can't see a scenario where Michael Pineda is re-signed. You know, but he is a free agent, so I can't put Pineda in quite yet. They'll chase some other free agent or multiple free agents, but some of these other guys, Belazovic, you know, some other guys are knocking on the door, Josh Winder, but he's been hurt, Duran, but he's been hurt. There's some guys that can help them maybe as soon as like late May, early June, but when I'm talking about early April and with the with the caveat of who even knows if we'll have opening day in late March, early April with the collective bargaining agreement expiring in early December, but going on the idea that they find a way The next season is a normal season, 162 games. Like at this point, even with the small sample size, just because of their of their limited options, like you feel pretty good about Joe Ryan being in next year's opening day rotation. Rapid fire scoops on this reckless speculation Thursday to wrap us up, Darren. Well, I'm not quite sure this would be rapid and it's not like it's a scoop, but I caught up with Bruce Boudreaux, the former wild coach on Wednesday. So very long story short, I'll, play the whole conversation on my on my next scoop podcast long story short he was supposed to be on one of those 9-11 flights Tuesday morning September 11th 2001 the Boston to Los Angeles flight so so Bruce was coaching in Manchester New Hampshire I believe at the time it was an affiliate of the Los Angeles Kings maybe it still is for all I know doesn't matter it's not germane to the conversation right now but at the time there was a connection to the LA Kings. Andy Murray, who's got some Minnesota ties, was the then head coach of the LA Kings. There were some coaches meetings, organizational coaches meetings. And Andy, according to Bruce, the most organized coach he's ever been around. Andy decided, you know, somewhat late in the process to summon the coaches early. So they were supposed to begin meetings on like Tuesday night, September 11th, or Wednesday morning, September 12th. But Andy wanted to do a dinner, some other things. So Bruce was summoned to L.A. a day or two earlier. So Bruce was supposed to be on one of those flights. Heck, Bruce should be dead right now. And he, because of Andy Murray, was summoned to L.A. a couple days prior. And he wasn't on that flight. Unfortunately, his dear friend, they were at a wedding that previous Saturday. Ace Bailey was a scout, had some coaching background too. But... He wasn't invited to the coaches' meetings because he wasn't a, quote, scout, a coach, excuse me. He was a scout. And so he was summoned to L.A. for organizational meetings but didn't need to be there till later in the week. And so he was on uh, that Boston to L.A. Wow. Tuesday morning 9-11 flight. So it's a roller coaster of emotions. You know, we fixate, and I'm guilty of this, we fixate on, on the big round number, 20 years, right? That Saturday is the 20-year remembrance mm-hmm. of 9-11. 
But as Bruce said, whether it's the 20-year remembrance, the 19-year, the 14-year, the 12-year, the 7-year, the 4-year, the 2-year, like this time of the year, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it's very bittersweet for him that he's incredibly fortunate and grateful to be alive. But like at his house in Hershey, Pennsylvania, I should have had him bring his iPhone. We were doing a a Zoom chat. He was on his iPhone. I should have had him bring me to the room where he's got a nice photo of Ace. But he said he walks by the photo darn near every day, you know, in his house. And, you know, when he does, I mean, how do you not think of, of everything that, that transpired also on, on Bruce, you know, I ended up talking a little bit of hockey and I just, I had said, Hey, you know, and I was just trying to keep the conversation going. I'm like, you know, we talked about Kaprizov and then I said, Hey, you know, if you had a chance to coach Kaprizov, maybe you'd still be the wild coach today. He goes, Oh no. He goes, that was predetermined. He goes, I could have won 10 more games that season. Billy wanted to bring in his own guy. Billy didn't want me there anymore. So Bruce was very quick to correct me that even if he had a chance to coach Kaprizov, he was still getting fired. He also told me he enjoyed going through the Seattle Kraken interviewing process, but he said they settled on their guy long before he had interviewed. That it was great. You know, he enjoyed his his conversations with the Kraken front office, but he knew going into that interview, he wasn't going to get that job. But but the passion to coach still burns inside of him. He'll end up doing some more TV for for NHL Network this year. The other local connection, uh, sports-wise, from 9-11, Michael Kadire, former twin. So I texted with Cuddy the other day. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he didn't have time to catch up on a Zoom. He's one of the coaches on the USA Under-18 team. So the, they played Canada yesterday in Sarasota, Florida. They're playing a bunch of games this week. So he just doesn't have a window between games every day then traveling back to his home. I, I think home base is Virginia. But anyway... Cuddy hits a home run for the Twins, I, I think double-A affiliate at the time, New Britain, Connecticut, uh, the New Britain Rockcats. It's a home run on Monday night, September 10th, to extend a playoff series. I forget the opponent, doesn't matter. But there was a pitcher, a teammate of Kadires, Brad Thomas, who had booked with his fiance, uh, you know, New Britain, Connecticut, the closest big airport. Well, Logan International in Boston. So Brad Thomas and his fiance had booked plane tickets to fly out the morning of Tuesday, September 11th, 2001, fly out of Boston after the new Britain Rockets season was over and fly to, to Los Angeles. Maybe eventually, I think he's from Australia, maybe then go LA to Australia and that doesn't really matter. But Thomas, the pitcher was supposed to be on that flight, but because Kadire hit this home run on Monday night, September 10th, New Britain season got extended. Thus, Thomas and his fiance could not be on that flight the morning of, of September 11th. Wow. Two incredible stories. All right, sir. Thank you, Dukes. Talk to okay. you on Tuesday. And, of course, check out Doogie's uh, Scoop podcast as well. All right. Enjoy Talk the to game later, tonight. Doogie. Happy opening day of yeah, the NFL opening season. opening day of the National Football League. Talk to you, Dukes. Football. Thank okay. you. Okay. See you. Bye. Yeah, exactly right. Let's um, actually keep the conversation here. Declan Goff on Mackie and Judd, sans Phil, at least for this portion, right. on the wild and Kirill Kaprizov. And um, something that you alerted me to that was in a Michael Russo piece in The Athletic that I think had more to do with the Olympic team and, and the Olympic teams, I should say, plural, sure. and the potential for wild players to play on those those teams. Uh, but within that, you sent me last night a very interesting uh, few paragraphs on Kirill Kaprizov. Why don't you recap or read those to us and we can react to what has now turned into a really an ongoing soap opera. Yeah, uh, a friend of the show, Michael Russo, reported in The Athletic uh, on Wednesday afternoon that as of now, quote, Kaprizov, 24 years old, has still not re-signed with the Wild and things have suddenly become contentious again in negotiations that seemingly won't end despite Minnesota offering a player with 55 career NHL games, $9 million a season. And what's more, every day that goes by without his name on the dotted line makes for a more possibility that he won't be on the ice for the first day at camp. Because after he signs, as Russo points out, he needs to secure a U.S. visa uh, and a Canada visa, for that matter, a negative COVID test. And we're not sure if he's even vaccinated yet or at least has had the Moderna and Pfizer or, or, or the CDC and FDA approved vaccines US here, shot, the U.S. Basically. shots, yeah. basically. There is a Russia yep. shot that has not been approved from the NHL side. 
and the NHL has yep. also released their COVID protocols. Um, so, yeah, this is this is trending in a in, in a poor direction. And, and again, is it more probably Kaprizov's agent? Yes, but I don't think Kirill is completely at fault here. I'm not just going to use a language barrier or use something as oh, it's just a 24 year old kid who wants the moon and he's not going to do anything until he does it. He definitely is, is has a has a has a play in these contract talks. But for God's sakes, Kirill, I mean, sign, sign, the, sign this contract. If 55 games, you're getting $9 million. You're going to be a free agent again when you're 28, 29 years old. I don't think that's a, a, a bad spot to be in. You can get another similar deal if you keep up this level of production. Um, if he's not ready to go by training camp or has not at least signed the contract, for God's sakes, uh, I, I would start to panic. I would absolutely start to panic if I'm a Wild fan. You and I talked yesterday on Judd's Hockey Show, Apple, Spotify, Score North, and on our YouTube channel that if you didn't find the center, all right, well, if it's Marco Rossi and Matthew Boldy, they better be ready right away because otherwise it's going to be a Victor Rash show again. So I, I hope to God Kirill signs his contracts. It, will, I would, it would take some burden and give every Wild fan and people who are covering the Wild a, a little bit of, a, of an exhale. But I don't know, Judd. This, this is... To me, trending in again a just a, a poor and cloudy, murky direction as the regular season nears here in about six weeks. All right, two thoughts off this. One is th- this has clearly become a battle of wills, not with Kirill Kaprizov, but with Kaprizov's agent um, and Bill Guerin. And Bill Guerin knows that Kirill Kaprizov's options are basically nil at this point. So if he wants to play hockey, he's going to play hockey um, at least with a with a non club hockey team for the Minnesota Wild. Uh, that's thought one. The second thought, and this is the most important thing, and we I've talked about this before, Kirill Kaprizov is flat out getting terrible advice. Uh, I don't ordinarily just side with teams, as most folks in this town know. I'm often negative towards teams because I think that the local teams at times are wrong and don't do a good job. But in this case, I side with the Wild completely. Kirill Kaprizov decided and his family decided that when he was drafted in 2015, he was going to stay in Russia, and he stayed in Russia. That cost him the the National Hockey League contract clock from running, okay? That's all fair, but that's a decision. He didn't come here till he was 24, and he came here 24, and he was fantastic. That being said, though, he then switches to an agent who clearly told him, I can get you the world right now. You know, you'll get a three-year contract. That's not going to happen. Um, I don't even know that there's any ill will. And this is the frustrating thing between a kid who's in rut or not a kid, a young man who's in Russia with a language barrier and the wild. I think this is completely the doing of an agent who has overpromised, um, who who the Kaprizov family, I'm sure, saw what Panarin got from the Rangers. But that was a different situation by that time. It started out the same. But remember, he had to get a bridge contract. He went to Columbus. Then he got to the Rangers. That all had to unfold. They're like trying to skip right ahead to the Rangers step here uh, by getting him a three-year contract. So uh, this is this is just bad advice. And and you know, a kid who doesn't necessarily have probably the greatest the greatest stronghold certainly on understandings of the English language and what's going on in this league and his family are being given bad advice. And Bill Garrett knows that. And Bill Guerin, I think it looks like his Doug index. Yeah. And I think he, and I, I think in this case he should, cause I ain't given the guy a three-year contract. He's getting five years. That's what he's going to get. And in five years, if he wants to walk, that's his decision. But like, what's the, there's no goodwill gesture of saying, well, if we give him three years, he's going to stay for sure. So if you're the wild, you need to play hardball. They're doing the right thing here. I, I would do the exact same thing. Because there's no trade-off here that's, okay, we gave him a three-year contract. Now we really feel like he's going to come back in, in three years. No, he's probably going to leave. Um, so, yeah, this is just this – is, uh, this is a guy who, who literally made a decision to stay there, which was his choice, but it was going to cost him. And now, and now somebody doesn't want to pay the piper for that choice. That's ridiculous. The Wild's right here. Sign the damn contract and get it done. And if you got to fire this guy, fire this guy. But if you want to play hockey, dude, um, this is not about this is not about your decision about what you're going to do unless you do not want to play hockey. Absolutely. If you want to forfeit playing hockey, that's up to you. But that would be a shame, uh, and and you'll cost yourself millions eventually. So, 
yeah, this is one where I will defend the team. I think what the team is doing is exactly right. And I think what the player is doing and his representation especially is doing is complete malpractice in this case. Yeah, it's it's frustrating to see as a Wild fan after what you were able to see in 55 games. Fans weren't in the building for the most part um, until the last couple weeks of the season. And I I, I wanted to get this sign. I, I want to just take care of this. I, I want to watch this guy again. Uh, you and I were lucky enough to be in the press box this last year and were able to see him in person. And it was fun from up top. And I want to see what he does. But uh, it is reckless speculation Thursday, Judd. And I did find this reckless speculation trade idea on the Wild subreddit page. Reckless speculation. So I will give nice. credit uh, to the Wild subreddit page, which was posted last night. Assuming our golden boy, which is Kirill Kaprizov, really mm-hmm. hates Minnesota and wants to play on a coast. Let's just call it coast. And I love this reckless speculation from uh, Ned Flanders' giant word that I can't say on radio. Um, but I think you can finally figure out what it is. He says, okay. would you trade Kaprizov and Matt Dumba to San Jose for Thomas Hurdle and a first-round pick of San Jose's. Reckless speculation. So Cap and Dumba to San Jose for Thomas Hurdle and San Jose's first-round pick. This would give you an opportunity, because if you're trading away Kaprizov's rights, that, well, that creates $9 million. So if you get Thomas Hurdle, you have found your center. You can use that money to possibly lock up Thomas Hurdle, even use some more of that money to maybe lock up Fiala long-term this time again next summer. So Judge Zolgad, Kaprizov and Dumba for San, to San Jose for Thomas Hurdle and a first-round pick in 2023. Reckless speculation. First of all, I would need to have um, a, a long-term contract with Hurdle done before I made the trade. So I'm not making the trade unless I've got a long-term contract with the player done because he's going to be a free agent after this season, and I have no interest in this trade if he doesn't want to sign here long-term. Second of all, I'm going bigger game hunting if I'm trading the rights to Kirill Kaprizov. I'm going, I mean, Thomas Hurdle I like, but um, if you trade Kirill Kaprizov's rights, you got a lot of teams involved, potentially. Um, I would imagine that with the cap, the Rangers might have some problems, but they would probably make an attempt to get involved. The Kings would make an attempt to, to get involved. Much like with Ben Simmons, I'd like to get him out, out of my conference. I don't really want to be facing him in the playoffs in my conference if I don't have to be, unless I get such a good trade from the team that makes it in the conference. Um, but I'm probably, Dex, I'm probably going to try and swing a trade that gets me a younger, hotter prospect mm-hmm. than Hurdle. Um, I I I could see if you're going to keep on the conference, I could see going to the Kings. Kings got a ton of really good young talent. Yes, I mean, they're on the, the Caprice. If you trade Kaprizov, you're talking about a marquee player who, who again would have to work out a long-term extension. Like if I'm the Kings, I'm not taking him until he says, okay, I'm signing an eight year contract with you or the Rangers. Um, but if I'm going to make a trade, I'm going after, I'm probably going after a guy who was a top three, five to three draft pick in the last couple of years. Uh, the Kings have what? Byfield. Byfield's good um, who, who, Who's not up. Uh, you know who actually has two really good players that I like a lot? And they've been t- bandied about talking about reckless speculation in the Eichel trade. And I think they both, uh, I think the Ducks said they won't trade them. But uh, Trevor Zegers, who's a really yeah. good young player, yep. and another defenseman I love by the name of Jamie Drysdale. Yeah. Um, and then the Rangers, the Rangers, um, the Rangers have the top overall pick from the 2020 draft. That's what I'm going after. I want one of those guys. Yeah. I want a controllable, cheap, potential superstar asset, because I'm assuming that you worked out a deal with Kaprizov. Like I'm allowing you to do that. And if he's like eight year contract, I'm like, okay, now I want one of your top prospects back. So, so hurdle to me. That's not that's not going um that's not going big game hunting enough. How how about you? I yeah, it's it's a little much for I like Hurdle. I'm with you too. And um he's he's a damn good center. He's a number one center. He's twenty seven years old, he'll be twenty eight in November. He's seeking a long term contract. The Wild have gotten into trouble sometimes, inking guys on the wrong side of their twenties to long term contracts. Um I like the I like the King's proposal though that you mentioned. Yeah, Quentin Byfield would be an option, Alex Turcott. Another uh, center that they drafted high uh, could be another option to get. Look, and by the way, I know a lot of people are probably just pounding their heads like, I can't believe you guys are talking about a Kirill Kaprizov trade. We didn't come up with this trade, okay? Uh, this was sent to me by by uh, on the Reddit well, page, and it's fun to talk about. Time, well, and at some point in time, too, this is a problem. Right. 
Um, I think he'll sign, but at some point in time, you're going to have to. And and look, I don't have the feeling that Bill Guerin is going to give in here. So so if they really are going to sit their client out for an extended period of time, I mean, if he says I'm not starting the season, um, Bill Guerin is either going to to let you rot or he's going to get a really good deal for you. So yeah, I I don't think we're to the point here yet of Kirill Kaprizov being traded by any means. No. But but believe me, this is not one where I, I don't see the wild saying, all right, you win three years. Right. And that would be the only way that we could take these discussions off the table completely, right? No, not at all. It, it's it if it's three years, I'd be pretty disappointed. Now I've 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 told you before too that look, if they get a Stanley Cup in those three years and career wants to walk, okay, that's great. But I'm also putting pie in the sky and I'm and I'm and I'm and I'm manifesting in, in, a, in a Stanley Cup in three years. I'll do whatever it takes to do that. Um, but yeah, they, they, they're not going to do it. Um, I hope to God that just gets done here soon, man, because it's not just inking the contract that has been the dilemma here. He has to come over here. There's a work visa issue. Kevin Fiala ran into this when he had an RFA status two years ago last year. He wasn't the same player coming into that RFA for the first 20 games. Kirill's a more talented player than Fiala, so I'm not completely panicked that, oh, for the first dozen games or so, he might look really rusty. Um, I think Kirill's worst night is still better than a lot of players' good nights. Uh, but while well, I have to figure this out, time is of the essence for them to figure this out. They got to get it done. I, I think they have. <laughs> I think it's sitting there on someone's in, in Bill Garrett's drawer. I, that's the weird thing. I think they have figured it out. The Kaprizov camp has to decide if they're decide if they're going to sign it. I don't think they're backing off this, Declan. I don't think there's incentive to. So, like, that's what's weird about this. The other problem that we discussed extensively, but I'll, I'll just broach it again on Judd, that we discussed on Judd's Hockey Show, I'll broach it again today, is this. If you look at the situation right now, the Wild has a one-year window in which they can make some moves and be pretty damn good before the salary cap hits come back and start to bite them in the ass. And I'm talking about the Suter and Parisi um, um, contracts. So... If Kirill Kaprizov comes over late and Kirill Kaprizov struggles, you know, he doesn't get off to a great, that's a big deal. That's a problem. So so Kirill Kaprizov with the Wild has a one-year opportunity here to potentially be part of something special. And then he might be part of a rebuild a little bit. And and again, it's not his decision to make to bail on that because he didn't come over here for however long he didn't come over here. If he comes over in 2000, you know, 18, right? 17. This isn't a problem. Mm-mm. It's a problem because he decided to delay coming over and playing in this league while he was playing in the, so he could play in Russia and the KHL. So I think the Wilds doing the right thing. I'd play hard- hardball. And the other, and the last thing about this too, if you're Bill Guerin, this is the first real hardball negotiation that you've been involved in. And I don't think you want to set the precedent when you're in complete control of backing down. Do you like yeah, he no. backs down here? Everyone's going to be like, we want ours then. Cause our guy's really a free agent. So I think there's a lot at stake here as far as Bill Guerin sort of digging or planting his flag in the ground as, as a GM and showing that he's not just going to get uh, run over by an agent who promised his client too much. Absolutely. And and I'll tell you what, with Kirill, if he would have just stayed here, if he was here earlier, well, he could have been doing a lot of golfing and he could have went to his friends at PXG Minneapolis and Southdale Center and got a new pair, pair of clubs. And you know what, Kirill, why don't you come over here and get a fitting done? Because now is the best time to, to get a fitting, Judd. The golf season's winding down. You might be able mm-hmm. to get a nice little deal here and there. There's these new Gen 4 drivers, these Gen 4 fairways. And you know what? You and I have talked about the putters, which I have been looking into at PXG.com. And and there's the gunboat, there's the Spitfire, there's the closer, there's the Mustang, the Blackbird. There's plenty of options for Kirill uh, if he wants to up his golf game as well. And there's plenty of places to golf here in Minnesota. So Kirill, when you ink that five-year contract worth $45, $50 million, and you want some nice summertime in Minnesota after you raise a Stanley Cup, well, after the parade's done and after the you know partying's done, head on over to PXG. You got a nice pair of golf clubs. You can hit up with the golf courses. PXG in South Minneapolis, whether you're a Kirill Kaprizov or a Joe Schmo like me, they're going to help you up your golf game. PXG Minneapolis and Southdale Center. Don't forget, if you really like, like golf too, and let's just say that you don't make the playoffs at all, it's an even bigger break because then 
you can hit the course in April, baby. That's right. You can get right out there and That's hit the right. course. If you're Kirill Kaprizov, you go from the last regular season game to the <laughs> golf course the next day. You don't care. Your life's fine. But yeah, um, sign the contract, dude. Sign, sign the it. contract. Sign it. All right. All right. It's been a, a reckless speculation Thursday, a in-depth scoop session with our guy Doogie, followed by more reckless speculation and actually some not, unfortunately, not so Reckless speculation about what is going on with Kirill Kaprizov. We will talk to you next time. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.